We have a very interesting subject that we're discussing. And I'd like to remind you that Mohishashura, the great ego, won the boon that only the Divine Mother, the Divine Energy of the entire universe will be able to slay him. Now, we can't do it. The only thing we can do is become the Divine Mother. And that's just what's happening in Chapter 2. And if you remember uh, from the, uh, in verse number 14, the, from the light that had come from the source of the bliss to existence. Everyone go deeply inside and find the source of bliss to existence. And that became her face. <laughs> and from the power that controls her hair. And from the consciousness that pervades all her arms. And from the light of devotion her breast. And from the rule of the pure her midsection. And from the light of the Lord of equilibrium come her legs and her thighs. And from the light of the earth came her buttocks and hips. And from the light of the creative capacity her feet. And from the light of radiance her toes. And from the finders of the wealth her fingers. And from the guardian of the treasure her nose. Become her. That's the only way that we can take the energy away from the great ego and give it to the gods, is to remind ourselves that we are the murti, the embodiment, the image of divinity. All the shakti of the universe is inside. And all the manifestations of that energy we forget. What do I need with a little ego me when I am the mother of the universe? What will I do? Of what value is that little ego? How much importance can I place upon the attachments of the ego? And then we're going to decorate her with all the ornaments and with all the accoutrements and with all the weapons and with all the... Uh, uh, the, the accessories that the gods have in that same way they decorate the mother of the universe. And the earth rocked and the mountain shook and the gods were extremely pleased and joyfully cried out, Jai Ma! And with great satisfaction the wise people, that boys and girls, the wise people praise the image of their worship, bowing with devotion. And now here we are on page 153, uh, on page 154, verse number 35. Now, seeing the three worlds in such a the army of thoughts adorned their armor, took up their weapons, stood together, and the great ego in excessive anger exclaimed, Ah, what is this? Now, here I was, Mr. Great Ego, acting and interacting in this world of objects and relationships, and I've got all these different 
items of my agenda and I've got these great attachments and suddenly I feel those attachments slipping away from me and I am becoming the embodiment of the Divine Mother. Ah! What is this? Who do you think you are taking over? This is my domain. I am the king. I am the great ego. And by necessity, I'm the great egotist. Because look at all of my domain. Look at how important I am. And so I'm going to send my armies of Asuras to attack your divinity. And then along with all the thoughts that assembled ready to attack, he ran towards that ultimate sound and saw the goddess illuminating the three worlds. And the ego sees that the goddess has taken over all of being. Her feet stood upon the earth and her crown touched the furthest reaches of the atmosphere. The twang of her bowstrings and fear through the seven regions of hell. All the regions, are, there are seven regions of heaven, Burbu, Asma, Maham, Janahatapa. There are seven regions of hell, Atal, Patal, Talital, Talatal. I don't know them all. I haven't been there in so long that I forgot them all. And the thousand arms of this goddess covered all the directions. Oh, we portray her with 18 arms, but actually she's got a thousand arms. And then began the battle between the goddess and the thoughts. Uh, we sat down and said the goddess predominant, and then all the generals and the armies of the great ego came to attack that goddess rain upon her a shower of arrows and weapons and hey get this divinity out of here it's time to go party let's go celebrate I am the Lord of the three worlds this me is me Let, let's go play and many kinds of weapons illuminated the entire atmosphere in flight and a very powerful general of the great ego, devoid of clear understanding, rose to do battle. I don't know what's going on here. What's all this talk about divinity? Let's go to the kitchen and talk about gurus. Why are you talking about sadhana? Why are you talking about spirituality? Let's talk about things that we can quantify, not the qualities of the intensity of your devotion. What kind of talk is that? Let, I don't understand this. Fickleness waged battle with his four divisions of horses, elephants, chariots, and infantry. Uh, he had the Chiturang Sena. He had the four divisions of a, of a modern day ancient history army where he had uh, horses, a cavalry, and elephants, a chariots, and infantry of great strength. Haughtiness joined in the fray with 60,000 chariots. 
Who are you to tell me? I am me. Why would you even deign it advisable for you to instruct me? With hundreds of thousands, the great deceiver, with his army of 10 million foot soldiers, want of resolution. A great thought came to the battle. Want of resolution said, well, let's dig over there, let's dig over here, let's dig over, they will make many shallow wells. Why make a commitment? Why stay in one spot and dig deep? Let's just go on the surface, it's so much easier. <laughs> uh, you, who knows when you get down uh, a little bit deeper, you might have to use a pickaxe, you might have to actually work, you work up a sweat. Ah, it's too hard. Let's dig, man. It's the guru's fault. <laughs> if I didn't make a commitment, it's the guru's fault. Let's just change the guru rather than change the... I'm not going to change me. I'm haughty. I'm, I'm the great deceiver. Look at all my spirituality. Well, look at how big my T-lock is. I've got a... Oh, I must be spiritual. Look at me. I've got orange cloth and a big T-lock. I can deceive them all. I'll fool them all. They'll look at me and they'll say, oh, that Swami is really a Swami. Uh, look at his golden Rudrakshamala. <laughs> He's got gold around every Rudraksha. He must be a Mahatma. He must be a great renunciate. <laughs> the great deceiver. Want a resolution with 10 million foot soldiers. It was six million soldiers' memories under the battlefield. Oh, look at that. Why did I do that? What happened there? Oh, my goodness. What kind? Oh, how did that come about in my life? Look at the story of me. I'm in every scene of my movie. What a great director I must be. Have such a wonderful movie. And with thousands of elephants and horses wandering to and fro. Oh, I'll go to that ashram and I'll go to that. Maybe I'll go to Kailash. I'll walk all the way around Kailash. It's so much better than sitting down and looking inside. Maybe I'll go to who? Somewhere. Anywhere but here. Get me out of here! If I'm here, I gotta watch my movies, and I don't want to see my memories. Hypocrisy joined in the fighting with 5,000 million chariots assembled. Count them. 5,000 million is the hypocrite. The hypocrite. Hmm. It's fine. Why don't you uh, give me a throne and you guys all sit on the floor. I want to show you how humble I am. <laughs> I'm going to teach you. You should do sadhana. <laughs> you should do it this way. Uh, and moreover, tens of thousands of great thoughts on elephants and horses wandering to and fro, fought on in that battle with his chariots racing about. Maybe it's better in Colorado. I should go there. I should go someplace else. I, 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 I'm going to wander around a little bit before I make roots. 
and others too continued to fight, their chariots and elephants kept coming. And the great thoughts fought and fought in that battle with the goddess, uncountable thousands of warriors and chariots, horses and elephants accumulated there. The great ego himself joined in the battle with his large javelin, his spear, Shokti, his small javelin, his energy, and his mace. Other thoughts fought and fought in that battle and tried to strike the goddess with their swords, with all of their energies, and to bind her with their nets. That's where we got the, the shloka, neti neti. It's not this, it's not that. Not your net, not your net. <laughs> they were trying to kill the goddess with their swords, and the goddess, she who tears apart thought, attacked them with her own weapons. Playfully, the goddess rained upon her attackers a shower of her own weapons and mantras. Each weapon was accompanied by a mantra. She didn't do anything without mantra. Mantraate took away the minds. The mantra took away the mind and all the thoughts that came there to, to bind the, the goddess. She just said mantras, and those were the weapons. And the weapons struck the, the demons, which cut all their weapons to pieces, while the gods and seers praised her with hymns and minds of divinity. Jaima! In her face was not the slightest exertion, as the Empress of the Universe hurled weapon after weapon upon the bodies of the attackers. And the lion of the goddess, that Dharma, shaking its mane in rage, strolled through that army of thoughts like a forest conflagration. Just like a wildfire races through the forest, the lion just went through the, the forest of thoughts and said, okay, who's going to mess with Dharma? Each expiration of the breath of the mother of the universe manifested there as her army. As she did the pranayam and the sadhus remembered the goddess with minds of piety and divinity and intense resolve. Inhaling the mantra, exhaling the mantra that became her army. Defeating all the thoughts, no thought could stand in front of that kind of pranayam. Numbering in hundreds and thousands, fighting in the battle with the axe, the javelin, the sword, and the spear. The goddess and her immense energy destroyed the numbers of thoughts while beating on the drum and sounding, sounding the conch. <laughs> Playing cymbals and swinging the club and the trident and raining energy in that festival of battle. The festival of battle is the chande. And singing and chanting and beating on the drum and blowing the conch shell and chanting the mantras, doing the pujas, doing the pot, doing the homa and parade, doing the kirtan and the singing and the dancing, all manifested as energy in the festival of battle, the terrible noise of her bell 
Sagunta, Paduno, let your bell protect us. The terrible noise of her bell stung the great thoughts to unconsciousness, and she cut them with her sword of wisdom. How many thousands fell to their death? Those thoughts, all of them met their demise in front of the weapons held by the, in the hands of the Divine Mother. Many thoughts were bound by the net and dragged to the earth. Many thoughts were cut into two by the sharp edge of her sword. How many thoughts fell wounded to the earth from the impact of the club? How many were struck by the mace and became extremely injured? Remember the club? She beats him over the head with her mantras, the articulation of mantras. The mace, she, she clubs them with the intuitive meanings of the mantras. She, she sprays them with some mace. <laughs> she hits them with her club, with her mace, with her shakti. How many were struck by the mace and became extremely injured? Some thoughts pierced in the breast by the pike fell to the earth in a heap. The pike is one-pointed attention. How many thoughts in that battlefield struck by a rain of arrows were cut apart? Several of the number of thoughts who had tormented the gods relinquished their vital breath. They just gave up the ghost. Right then and there, they couldn't stay there on the battlefield with that goddess. Many others lost their arms or necks or were reduced to dust. See the heap of thoughts just sitting there, piled up, all those corpses of thought. All my thoughts blown to smithereens. <laughs> I mean, she really blew my mind. How many fell with their heads cut? How many with their bodies divided at the minute section? Many cut from the hips, fell. Many lost a limb or an eye or were torn into two pieces. Many thoughts with their heads severed rose again as headless bodies in a terrible form to take up their arms and continue to battle with the goddess. Other headless torsos danced to the rhythmic music of the battle. <laughs> and many without heads raced about with their swords and energies and other weapons and shouted at the goddess, Stop! Stop! Cool it, man! Hey, goddess! Why are you tearing all these thoughts apart? <laughs> you just took the energy away. We were so strong and we were so powerful and we made all the worlds, especially the great eagle, empowered to take over everyone who did anything, did it because of their own lust and greed. They all thought of me. And now you're withdrawing your energy from the thoughts and you're illuminating the gods. And here we have the embodiment, the murti of the Divine Mother present in our, our midst, just cutting down thoughts left and right. Many without heads raced about with their swords and energies and shouted at the gods, Stop! Stop! Where that terrible encounter place, took place, the earth was covered with chariots, elephants, horses, and thoughts. All bare thought. Oh, big ones, little ones, fast ones, fat ones, small ones, little teeny 
thoughts. They all congregated there. They all met their demise in the battlefield that the goddess had caused to fall so that there was no possibility to find a path by which to come and go. From, from the army of thoughts and from their elephants and horses poured forth so much blood as to create a great river, all the passion drained from the thoughts and they had no more desires other than the desire to be the divine mother. Within an instant, that gigantic army of thoughts perished before the mother of the universe, just as grass and timber are reduced to ashes in a moment by a great fire. And that lion, shaking its mane to and fro, and roaring loudly, oh, extracted the life force from any thoughts, thus the goddess and her army waged battle with the multitude of the great thoughts as the gods in heaven were extremely joyous and showered the earth with flowers. Om. Om. We asked the Divine Mother, who is the energy of all and everything, to withdraw her energy from the all and everything and stop making us think about all and everything and remember that we are the embodiment of the goddess. And first we made puja and we took it all, we made with flowers a graphic representation of the map by which we moved our awareness into the presence of the Divine Mother and we worshipped her outside and then we established Pranpatishta and we invited her inside and then we put on, we started to read the Chandi, we put on her face and we put on her arms, we put on her eyes, we put on her ears, we put on her toes and we put on her nose until we became the embodiment of the Divine Mother. And all the thoughts said, wait a minute, we don't want to be relegated to incognition. Don't forget us. And so they attacked the Divine Mother and the Divine Mother playfully <laughs> with all of her weapons, hit those Asuras over the head and let them fall exactly where they were. All the thoughts met their demise at the hands of the Divine Mother until we were quite thoughtless. So the great ego won the boon that none of us can defeat him. All of us are little egos. We can't defeat the ego with the ego. All we can do is become the Divine Mother and make the ego meet his demise at the hands of the Divine Mother. So long the Divine Mother resides here and she causes me to act as an instrument in her hands, so long the ego is dead. And that's how Chandi works. She takes away the energy from the ego. She gives it to the Divine Mother. She illuminates the gods. This becomes the embodiment of godliness. This becomes the instrument of peace. 
Lord, may be an instrument of your peace. This becomes the tool. I am the tool. You are the craftsman. It becomes the car. You are the driver. It becomes the representative of divinity wherever this body goes without ego. When the ego takes over again, then he ta she takes the energy away from the God, she gives it back to the ego, he empowers his generals, and they take over, oh my, oh me, oh my, what's going to happen to me? And then we start thinking about I and mine again. And this is the battle of chapter 2. Om Sam Sarasvati Namaha. Namaste. Let's see if there are any questions. Yes, please, Rami Mami. Swamiji, uh, the way this works is when we do the nyas of mother in us, it's uh, we feel her presence within us. And the fact that her presence is so strong, all the thoughts are no longer there. That is very true, but not only do we feel her presence, we become her. We feel her presence to such an intensity that there is no ego. I am one with God. Shivoham. I am one with God. We feel so much love. We feel so much love that there is no two. There's only one, Aham Brahmashmi. That's the, the key is to feel so much love that we take all the energy away from every other thought and can only think about the Divine Mother. It's just like when Vritra Ashur, the cloud, comes and rises and gets heavy and dark and black and stands in front of the sun, we can't see the sun. Well, the sun is not devoid of existence. We just can't see him because we're so busy looking at the dark cloud, we forget all about the sun shining behind the cloud. When Indra, the rule of the pure, comes with his thunderbolt of illumination and we pray to him with sincerity and make him strong, he throws the thunderbolt, he breaks the cloud, the rain comes down and the sun comes out and shines again. Well, the cloud is the darkness of egotism and attachment. And the sun is the light of wisdom and illumination. And when we destroy the darkness of egotism and attachment, the ego dissolves or the sun comes out and illuminates us, warms us, gives us his energy. In the same way, in chapter 2, we cut down the ego and allow the Divine Mother, the real nature of each of us, to shine. Please. We have a question from Sadatmananda in Washington. Namaste Sadatmananda. What is the best attitude and approach to chanting the Chandi when our previous Chandi was very difficult, 
especially when we have a strong preconceived notion about how it will go. Oh, you put all of that aside. I just want to be with mom. I, she knows what's in my heart, and I'm going to do the very best I can. I'm not a pundit, and I'm not trying to become a pundit. I'm trying to become her child. I'm just a child of God. The only one who chants it correctly is Lord Shiva. Now, to the extent that we are capable, we're going to try to chant it correctly. But believe me, I've been chanting Chandi 42 years, and I make mistakes. Don't think that you're going to pick up the book in three months or six months and do it perfectly. And understand every other word. No need to think about mistake. Yeah. Just go on. <laughs> Just go on. Just think that you're doing the best, and you're going to do it the best you can, and try and learn as much as you can about the meaning and the intention and the motivation and the empowerment that you get from me, even try. And then all the mistakes will rectify themselves. We have a question from Nanda in San Jose. Namaste, Nanda Ma. Namaste. Based on the, descri the description of chapter two, is the goddess then nothing but all of our collective light? She is all of our collective light, individually and collectively. When we sit alone, we are taking all the gods within us and putting forth our lights into one light of radiant splendor. And when we sit with a group, we are taking all of our lights and putting them into the light, uh, which is the communal fire, the communal light. So when we all sit around the Havan Kund and we watch the fire rise and, and illuminate us all, it is the collective lights of the devotion and the attention and the intention and the motivation of each and every one of us. So it's the collective light individually and collectively we are worshiping as a community, me, myself, and I. And we're worshipping as a community Nanda and Srima and Shivani and Rami Mami. And Adoitya and Pranavananda and Gautam Baba and, and Pratifa. And all the gods and goddesses will come together and put forth their lights and we will make one light of radiant splendor and that will take on a female form and it will become the embodiment of Srima. We have a question from Ryan in San Jose. Namaste, Ryan Baba. Namaste. There are many TV shows today with actors depicting various gods and goddesses. When we do a puja or pot, etc., is it appropriate to use a mental image of the actor in their role to facilitate our concentration on the deity? Can we consider the actors to be living mortis? Mm, not exactly. Uh, sometimes, yes. But generally... Uh, many of the Bollywood depictions of the Hindu scriptures are not exactly accurate. Sometimes they enhance the story a little bit. A lot. <laughs> and they make, uh, they, they, they make it a little more worldly. So they have the gods and the goddesses acting like they would like to act. 
And that's not really the highest divinity that we can aspire to. Now, you can take a mental image of what the gods and goddesses look like. But if you get fall in love... If you get fall in love, then certainly. But you watch those movies or those videos with a discriminating eye and think, is this really the way gods would act? Or is this really the way goddesses would act? Yeah, I've seen many of those serials, and they're, they're, many of them give us a lot of good information and a lot of good ideas and inspiration. But some of them have tamasha, uh, which only comes from Bollywood. It, it's a, a kind of craziness, uh, which uh, yeah, you won't have a, a, a maternal spat between Parvati and Shiva. Uh, but you can, you, can, you can pick up from that uh, picture, the best. Take the best things from those pictures and leave the rest. Yeah. Take the pictures of the gods, but also sit in front of a murti and watch your guru and watch the murti and go even beyond the scripted Bollywood depiction of what did the gods and goddesses do. We have a question from Swaroop Ananda in Seattle. Namaste, Swaroop! Pranam, are the generals we encounter in the chapter the chapters actual manifestations of the great ego, or are they more separate from the ego? No, they are they are generals in his army, so they are manifestations of his power. And what he sends to us these various generals so that we, we will forget all about our love with the Divine Mother and our love with energy and our all the energy and inspiration and information that we've acquired. He wants us to forget all that stuff and go back to watching the boob tube pop a cold one and kick back and chill. And that's not exactly what we want to do. I, if we do that, we are saying, I accept a lifetime without God. When we do that, we become an eternal servant of the great ego. Because where is the path by which we can extricate ourselves? Unfortunately, Srima and I today were in an office today where, where many people were talking about their lives and their jobs and their kids and the rhythm of their lives. And they said that they get home from work about 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night and they prepare food and they prepare the kids and then they put the kids to bed and by that time it's time to prepare to go to work the next morning. And so then they go to bed exhausted and they get up in the morning and start all over again. Which was just something very similar to what we wrote into the introduction of the Chandipat. We are habituated to working to survive and surviving to work. And where is the pleasure? Where is the delight? Where is the path by which we can extricate ourselves from this continuous Re revolution of working to survive and surviving to work and taking care of the kids and putting them to bed and then it's time to go to bed ourselves and where's the room where's the place for God in all of this now if they were like that farmer who woke up in the morning and said oh Vishnu 
<laughs> and picked up his plow and worked all day and plowed his field and came back home at night and said, Oh, Vishnu. Uh, then at least they said God's name twice. <laughs> but the, if they were like the family of the Devi Mandir who walks through a door and says, I bow to Ganesh, and turns a key and says, I bow to the Divine Mother, and then gets, puts their foot on the accelerator in their car and says, I bow to Lord Shiva, and then picks up the Chandi in the night and Chandi in the day, Kuriya Devadna Shamshaya. Such a person becomes a god or goddess without a doubt. So that's the objective is to keep that remembrance about us all through the day. Remember it's not how long we sit, it's how intensely we remember. That's the real key. It's not, oh I sat for five hours or eight hours or ten hours, who cares, where was your mind? Well, because many of us would love to do sadhana for longer periods of time. Just keep going. Just keep going. Yes, Mother. Thank you. We have a question from Sadhana Shakti in Seattle. Namaste, Sadhana Shakti. Pranam. You've mentioned before that when we quit answering the door, when desire knocks, they will stop knocking. Can we assume that it is the same with memories? The less energy and attention we give to them, the less they will come? Absolutely! Yes, that is just the key. That is just the way. Sadhana, when you sit and look at the image of the Divine Mother and you realize that you're looking in the mirror, then where do you have time to entertain memories? Where do you have time? I'm trying to remember the mantra. Where do I have time to, to think about all the memories? Thanks for the memories. I don't have time to think of those memories. I'm busy. I'm otherwise engaged in nitya karma. Remember, there are four kinds of karma. Samshipt is over and done with its past. Birth one is present. Right now, that just became past. Parabdha is those actions commenced in the past which will come to, to fruition in the future. And nitya. Nitya karma, eternal karma, the type of karma that has no relationship to time. That kind of karma is called, it's called Siddhanta Chara, behavior in accordance with the scriptures, puja, pot, Homa, singing, dancing, pravachan, like what we're doing right now, understanding what it means and how to apply it in our lives, and arpan, serving, sharing the prasad. Those seven kinds of behaviors give you nitya karma, and that's eternal karma, and when the past knocks on the door, if we are submerged in eternal karma, then there's no one available to answer the door. Similarly, if we're paying attention and the phone rings and there's no one there to answer the phone. And also if we're, if we're submerged in nitya karma, we're remembering the mantra, we're doing the pranayama, we're sitting in the asan, then when memories knock on the door, there's no one home to pay attention to them. Sorry, Mr. Memory, go away. 
I'm otherwise engaged. I'm busy right now. Don't bug me. Yeah. Yeah. Come, an come another time. We have a question from Julia. Namaste, Julia. Ma. Namaste. We seem to have such a happy and paradoxical practice in the Chandi. Here we are in the chapters of battles and actions and seeming commotion, but in the midst of this graphic chanting, digging deeply into divine peace. Isn't this a strange and hilarious practice in comparison to so many current sitting meditation practices? Well, I don't know. We do this sitting down. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you can take it any way you get it. You can take it sitting down, you can take it standing up, you can take it walking or talking or, or shouting, Jai Ma! It's all part of the Chandi. And there is a dichotomy here. Our objective is to find the unity in the diversity. Our objective is to find the peace in the midst of the chaos. Our objective is to find the center in the middle of all of this duality. It's, the amazing thing happened to me. I was with my guru walking across the Himalayas for three years. We had a sankalpa not to sit under, not to sleep under a roof. The closest we came to under a roof was the portico of a temple. We slept on the verandas. Otherwise, we slept under the trees or under the open sky. And we chanted the chandi. And we sat around a fire. And we cooked one meal a day. And then we would eat and sleep and get up and chant some more. And when we got down, when we, we completed our sankalpa, we came down from the mountains and we went to civilization. And we got on a train, and we rode on the train, as sadhus do in the luggage compartments <laughs> in third class. Uh, and we got down from the train in Howrah Station. And that's the busiest rail terminus in all of Central Asia. And dirty. And the dirtiest, loudest, noisiest friggin' place you ever saw in your life. And Guruji sat down on the railway platform and said, Okay, it's morning, chant the chandi. I said, Guruji, we just came from chanting the chandi in the Himalayas under the open stars, just the two of us alone in nature. What are you saying in our station? <laughs> the dirtiest, noisiest, most crowded, rushing place. And you've picked it right by the gate where the coolies are spitting and the, everyone's shouting and pushing and shoving. And here you are sitting down to Chantha Chandi. He said, anyone can meditate in the Himalayas. Now you have to make the Himalayas wherever you So we sat down and chanted the Chandi. The objective, Julia, we want to make the center with us so we carry the temple with us, so we carry the experience of unity with us. We want to have that strength that we are the Divine Mother everywhere, all the time, wherever we can remember. We have a question from Ambika. Namaste, Ambika Ma. Namaste. 
If the light from all the gods and goddesses has come together to create the Divine Mother, then this means all the gods and goddesses are contained within her. So when we do a puja or a meditation on a picture, can we use a picture of Sri Ma? Wouldn't that contain all that is divine? Why do we need so many different mortis, pictures, lingams, etc.? You don't! You don't need any of them. All you need is one picture of Sri Ma. You're absolutely right. That will bring you to the greatest fulfillment. But if you're chanchal, if you're not capable of focusing on the one picture for one long time and do your one puja to the one deity, or the one representative of all the deities, then put many representatives. <laughs> now, if you can say Om again and again and again and again, you have no need for all the other mantras. All the other mantras are contained within Om. But if you ever forget, which some of us have a tendency to do, from time to time. If you forget that one mantra, then go to the next mantra. And if you can't remember that one, then go to the next one. And if you can't remember them all, then do a pot and read all the mantras one after another and inhale them and exhale them and remember. These are practices through which we increase our capacity to remember and to feel and to understand and to grok and to live the life and to walk the walk and talk the talk and, and uh, I guess it's called walking and chewing bubble gum at the same time. Everything has to make you love. Yes, Mother. Everything has to make pure love. Thank you. We have a question from Vivekananda in Seattle. Namaste, Vivek! Namaste. What is the most effective thing we can do in the off hours of chanting the Chandi in order to maintain the bhavana of the Chandi when we are not chanting it? I'm trying to make the Chandi take over my life. Think about what it means to chant the Chandi. Cogitate its meaning. If you can't recite it, if you can't memorize it, if you can't uh, think about the mantras, think about the application, think about the philosophy, think about the meaning, think about the method, think about Chandi. Just read. <laughs> well, if you can't read it, I mean, say he's driving the car or he's programming his computer or he's fixing somebody's widget or wadget, then while your mind has an opportunity, whenever your mind has an opportunity, turn to your Shakti and say to her, you are my Chande. Thank you for the privilege of letting me serve you by doing what I do. Thank you for being the energy that takes away all of my thoughts. Let's see how you manifest in my life. Let's see how we work together so that we can both remember that we are embodiments of divinity all the time. That's what the partnership is about. If you're not with your partner, then turn to yourself and say, Self, how do I manifest Chandi's philosophy in my life? And actually contemplate 
Everything that you do, how you see the, the, the assurance coming at you, the selfish tendencies coming towards you, desires coming towards you, the, the too little saying, go out and get some more, too much saying, get rid of some, the goddess, the, the intellect of love, the guru saying, hey, find your center, make your plan, make a budget, may find out how much you need, what is too much, what is too little. When, One other thing, just to, she's our mother. <laughs> you could do that too. She's our mother. We love mother and go on. Next question. We have a question from Laura. <laughs> yes, Laura. Namaste. Namaste. When I chant the Chandi, I try to regulate my breath and chant on the out-breath. I get out of breath very easily and seem to end up breathing at least a few times a line. Is it so important to regulate the breath when chanting that I should make it a priority? Or should I leave it alone for now because that I'm struggling with it and it's distracting me? Well, if it's a distraction, then you could leave it for a while and become comfortable breathing at the quarter of the breath. Uh, let's try... Uh, uh, Let's try uh, verse number 50 on page 158. That's a random verse I just chose, not for any particular reason. And it says, Lilaiva prachicheda nita shastrasra varshini anayastan anadevi now, remember, Chandi, for the most part, is written in Anishtup Chando. There are 32 syllables to the verse. There are 16 syllables to a line. There's eight syllables to a quarter. You could take a breath after every eight syllables and still be doing pranayama. Let's do the next verse together. Mumocha sura dehesu, sastran yastrani cheshuri, so be gurudo dutasato, devya bahan kesri. And if you just sing the chandi, it will become known for you. There are four kinds of pots, four kinds of recitations, four kinds of rhythms that we use. One is called a bhakti pot, what we're doing right now. For our own devotion, we're trying to pronounce every syllable in every line and trying to understand the meaning. In, after we do the bhakti pot, there's a shakti pot where we try to do one line or one verse in every breath and we try to grok the bhavana and the intensity and the meaning and the meter. For example, in verse 50, Lila Giva Prachicheda Nija Shastra Varshini Anayasta Dhanadevis Tu Yamanasurashivi and then there's a pranayama pot where we inhale one mantra and then exhale the verse. And then we inhale the same mantra and that becomes the mool mantra of the chandi. 
I use the Navarna mantra. Lilagi bapati cheda nija shastra shabarshini anayasthana nadivis tu yamana sura shibhi. Umochatur dehishu shastra nishra niteswari so bigrudo dutasato divya bahana kesari. And so I have a regularity of breath and every inhalation will give me as much oxygen as I need in order to exhale as many verses as I choose in my rhythm of chanting. And those are the first three types of presentations of the Chandipat. The tune will differ, the, the melody will differ, even the rhythm will differ. You can do two verses to the breath, or four verses to the breath, or six verses to the breath. It, it'll all change and evolve over time, and it's different for the person who does it every time, and it's different for the audience who listens every time. But the consistent factor is there are these three modes of pronunciation. There's a fourth mode called Jivanong, and I don't think we need to go into that right now. We can discuss Jivanong in another class. That'll take some time. So, uh, Lori, uh, the first thing you should do is learn how to pronounce each of the, the words and try to chant words. So we'll use a bhakti pot and breathe at the quarter of every verse. Ulilagi vapachi cheda nija shastra chabarshini anayasta nada devi stuyamana turashibi. Try doing that for a while and it'll become easier for you to pay attention to your breath. We have a question from Nanda in San Jose. Namaste Nanda Ma! Dear Swamiji, if we are all embodiments of the Divine Mother, can we have our own pictures on the altar to remind ourselves that we are forms of the Goddess? No! No, you can't. If you do that, there's too great a tendency to think of that picture as Nanda and not as the Divine Mother. And then you become worshipping the great ego. And how do I look in that picture? And wasn't I smiling correctly? And was I looking down? And did I blink? And, do I, and all the other crazy, stupid thoughts that the ego wants to superimpose upon my picture. No! But, in Kali's hand, there's a picture of the head of the ego, which he cut down, and as long as he holds that head, that's a cool place to be. I have no objection to that. You could put your head in the hands of Kali, but certainly don't put yourself as, as along with all the other gods and goddesses and say, oh look at I made it to the altar uh, I've become a goddess now 
There's too great a tendency to invoke the ego and make the ego stronger. Look at me in heaven. <laughs> I've got the prize for humility. Aren't I the most humble of all the devotees? Look at my picture on the altar along with Durga and Kali and Saraswati. No! Don't do it! We have a question from Swarupananda. Namaste Swarupananda! When we inhale the mantra, should we whisper it to ourselves as you just did, or should we recite it inside? Recite it outside, whisper it yourself, to yourself as I just did, until you know that you are inhaling the same amount of oxygen, you are inhaling the length of a mantra every time. And once you know that, it gets quieter and it gets quieter and it gets quieter until it just becomes... And I hope you all heard that. Om Sam Saraswati Namaha Namaste